Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick Popley. Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, where each week we help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and save money. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor. Glad you can join us. When you hear the term Hot Wheels, do you have images of tiny toy cars for kids? And when someone mentions Grand Theft Auto, do you think of the video game? Well, Hot Wheels can also refer to stolen vehicles, and Grand Theft Auto isn't just a game. It's a real-life experience for thousands of Americans whose cars get swiped every year. Grand Theft Auto, the real thing, not the video game, is today's topic on Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. My guest is Frank Scafidi, the Public Affairs Director for the National Insurance Crime Bureau. He will discuss how many vehicles are stolen each year, what car thieves are looking for, how technology makes it harder to steal modern cars, and what you can do to make it even harder for thieves to swipe your car. But before we steal a look at the reality version of Grand Theft Auto, here's this week's auto news you might be able to use. April is Read Your Owner's Manual Month here on Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, and today I have great news for you. Reading your owner's manual could save you money. Yes, you could save money by reading your owner's manual, in particular, the section that deals with scheduled maintenance. If you follow the maintenance schedule outlined in your owner's manual, you might pay for fewer oil changes. You also will avoid getting sucked in by dealership service departments and repair shops that encourage you to pay for maintenance and service you don't need. Check the scheduled maintenance section of your owner's manual and you will learn that You may need an oil change only every 7,500 or 10,000 miles, not every 3,000 or 5,000, as some shops recommend or even insist you should do. You don't need to get caught up in the fluid flush frenzy either. That's when you go in for a $20 oil change and they tell you every fluid in your vehicle needs to be replaced or else it might explode. You may not need a radiator or transmission fluid flush, until 100,000 miles, maybe longer, maybe never. Some radiators and transmissions don't ever need fresh fluid. Sure, it sounds good when someone suggests that you can make your car last longer by getting these things done, but why spend money if you don't have to? You only have to look into the owner's manual to see what the manufacturer says you need and when. No, before you go to have maintenance work done. It's in your owner's manual. Have you ever paid $75 to have a cabin air filter replaced? Most of these filters cost less than $25 at parts stores, and your owner's manual may show you how to do it yourself in 10 minutes or less. With many current vehicles, the only maintenance you need over the first three or four years usually is oil changes and tire rotations. Don't get talked into paying for things you don't need. Read your owner's manual first. The preceding announcement was brought to you as a public service by the Read Your Owner's Manual Foundation, dedicated to the proposition that when all else fails, you should read the instructions that came with your car. And that is this week's auto news 
you might be able to use. What's worse than having an older car with some mechanical problems, a few dents and dings, and little resale value? How about an older car with all those problems, and then someone steals it from your driveway, and you never see it again? Think that can't happen to you? Think again. If you have a 10-year-old car that was popular when it was new, there might be a car thief or two lurking in your neighborhood who has their eyes on that beater. And if they want it, there's a good chance they know how to steal it. The newest, most expensive cars may be what most car thieves would like to steal, but they don't have the technical know-how to do it. So what do they do? They go after the low-hanging fruit, older cars with fewer and less sophisticated anti-theft features. That's one aspect of Grand Theft Auto, the real version, not the game, we will discuss on today's show. My guest is Frank Scafidi, Public Affairs Director of the National Insurance Crime Bureau. That is an organization that works with insurers and law enforcement to combat all sorts of insurance fraud and crime, including vehicle theft. You can find out more about them at their website, nicb.org. I recorded an interview with Frank last week, and here is the first part of that conversation. I'm talking with Frank Scafidi, the Director of Public Affairs for the National Insurance Crime Bureau, which is a not-for-profit organization that works with insurers and law enforcement to combat insurance fraud and crimes, including auto theft. Frank, what has been the trend in recent years for uh, the number of vehicles stolen? Well, Rick, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. And, uh, you know, that question is a great question to start with because there is good news, really, when you look at the trend with auto theft over the years, uh, particularly in the last 20 years or so. But uh, if you go back to the year 2000, I mean, for this, uh, you know, since the turn of the century, we've had over a million deaths each year up until 2007, and then it, um, you know, then it dropped off precipitously. So the short answer to that question, vehicle theft today is down considerably, something like 57% Wow. from its high in 1991. Hmm. So it's good news. What are some of the key reasons for that? Are, are uh, people finding different lines of work than stealing cars, or is it something else? <laughs> and that's a good question, too, because, you know, the, the knee jerk is that, you know, as long as cars are around, people are going to steal them. Right. And that is, you know, very true, and we do see different kinds of thieves committing auto theft around the nation. But by and large, uh, it is just getting harder to steal cars today than it was just a few years ago. That's and, you know, technology today, whether it's on the enforcement end or coming right out of the manufacturers, right off the assembly lines, cars today are just more secure than ever. But there are still an awful lot of thefts that occur because owners make it easy for the thieves. And I mean, leaving their keys in the car or leaving the car running when they go in to get a cup of coffee or, uh, as you and I talked about earlier, you know, if you're in Chicago in the wintertime, vehicle up before you drive to work, but there are very uh, numerous examples of people who have had their cars stolen because thieves will go through an area uh, in the wintertime and look for those exhaust plumes and say, ah, here's a car warming up, let me help them out with it. <laughs> I've, 
I've always, you know, wondered uh, if what would happen if I were to just jump into one of those cars I see idling like that and just move it around the block and turn the engine off. And, and <laughs> but I've never tried it. Uh, yeah, I've, I've similar thoughts too. In my luck, I'd get in a car that was probably owned by some ninja, you know, and I'd be sliced to pieces before I ever get out of the driveway. What uh, the most recent year for statistics would that be? Twenty thirteen or twenty twelve? And what was uh, roughly the number of vehicles stolen? Okay, the, the most recent numbers we have are for twenty twelve. Twenty thirteen aren't finalized yet, but um, there is there is a little bit of a change in the last two years. Frankly, uh, as I said earlier, the numbers have been decreasing ever since two thousand and three, and they reached. It was in twenty eleven. They reached seven hundred and sixteen. 508 total thefts nationwide, and that's that 57% percent mm. up um, just since uh, the last, uh, you know, 10 or so years. But there was a little bit of an increase in 2012's numbers from 2011, it's about half a percent. Uh. So in 2012, we saw 721,053 vehicles stolen, up a little bit, you know, about five grand from 2011. And we in 2013 to see a little bit of an increase as well. So the eight consecutive years of drops in, in thefts um, beginning in 2003 has turned around, or certainly it ended with, 20, with 2012 numbers, and we'll probably see it again in 2013. Why, why do you think it's going to go up again? Or 2% when you think that it's down 57. Uh, we're a long, long way from where we were, so right. no good news. Well, why do you think it's going back up? Yeah, who knows? That could hmm. just be the ebb and flow of, of crime stats. Because when you have, um, you know, when you have certainly um, such a drop off, to see a continuing decline uh, would be very, very unusual. Uh, but to see an annual, you know, uptick for a few for a year or two is not all that unusual. You know, if there were a uh, 57% decline in traffic fatalities over a 10-year period, can you imagine the headlines for that? Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. people would just, I mean, they would be beside themselves. Right. You, know, you couldn't have enough rose gardens to have those kinds of uh, press conferences. <laughs> wow. You know, there's, uh, some people speculate that because, and this is quite true, I mean, where I'm at in California, we saw over the last years during the economic downturn, there were a lot of law enforcement agencies across the state and across the nation, frankly, that were laying officers off. Oh, yeah. That is really rare. And, you know, when, and those that remained, obviously, due to budget restrictions, couldn't do the kinds of things that they may were, perhaps were doing in years gone by. And a lot of those kinds of specialized investigations, whether it's auto theft or, uh, you know, certain other kinds of property crimes were all disbanded in favor of just working standard property crimes. Auto theft was one of those violations that didn't get the kind of attention that it received previously. And so that it could be a contributing factor. We don't really know for sure, but uh, you know, when you don't have enough um, law enforcement presence for whatever the crime is, you're going to have problems with it. Fair, fair to say that um, a lot of auto theft would be done by, say, you know, a theft ring or a you know a group of people who make it make a living at it. Oh, certainly, we find that uh, you know the organized rings or groups 
generally are the ones who have the more sophisticated kinds of theft uh, operations. Well, they'll, they go after high-end vehicles. Uh, they may have a, a place where they can store vehicles for a period of time, let them cool off. You know, it's no secret that there are recovery and tracking devices today for vehicles. And, you know, the thieves know that. So if you steal a car that's equipped with OnStar or LoJack or something like that, they might take it but park it someplace just to see if there's any kind of a law enforcement response. <laughs> then taking it to some garage somewhere where they go about either dismantling the thing or, or trying to disguise its true identity with a fraudulent VIN number, all sorts of things, or even export them out of the country. Mm-hmm. We have to pause for a break here, but uh, when we come back, we will continue our discussion of auto theft with Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Here's Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau about auto theft. Frank, you mentioned earlier that it's harder to steal cars today. Why is that? Well, the one-word answer mostly is technology. Mm. Technology has enabled uh, everything from smart keys, which was really the first generation of uh, the kind of uh, security that required communication between a key in a vehicle before the vehicle would start. And now that's well into its third or fourth generation where you have vehicles today coming off the line uh, that don't require a key in in the traditional sense, but require a device which sends a signal uh, to the vehicle. And as long as that device is near the vehicle or in the vehicle, um, you can start it with the push of a button and off you go. So, you know, hot wire, the old hot wire in a car where you could get into a vehicle and, and fumble with the ignition wiring and start the vehicle and take off. That's all but abandoned uh, and impossible to do with some of these newer vehicles. But they can be stolen in other ways, and there are ways to mimic uh, some of these devices or you steal the, the key fob itself from somebody. Uh-huh. Uh, or through, again, this requires fraud and somebody on the inside uh, not following security. You can actually go to a dealer and get a duplicate device for a vehicle if you convince them that you are, in fact, the owner of a vehicle. Uh, we have many cases where we found somebody, you know, for 100 bucks or whatever, will look the other way, if you will, and provide a duplicate device to somebody who is not the owner of that car. And then, they, of course, they go out and they find that car and they steal it with a key. You don't have to have the vehicle present to program one of those smart keys? Well, there are different versions of them, mm-hmm. some do, and then, you know, there are certainly tools available yeah. that can do that for you. Uh, you can go online and find these devices, just, you know, they're, they're, they're not, uh, how would you say, controlled items. So people who are in the business of stealing vehicles to that degree uh, are going to have the wherewithal to do it. But the good news is, you know, there aren't that many of those kinds of fees running around, mm-hmm. you know. Hollywood movies notwithstanding, you know, the garden variety knucklehead that steals a car uh, isn't going to be able to crack into a system and do all of that magic to steal a car that has that kind of security. Uh, but they very well will take a car with the keys dangling out of the ignition. 
Right. Now, the uh, the smart keys you mentioned, they do transmit, I believe it's a radio signal to the vehicle, and they, the two have to exchange information for the doors to unlock and for you to be able to start the vehicle. Can someone intercept those radio signals? Technically, yes. That is, that's quite possible. And there has been, I remember a year or two ago, there was this big news story about, uh, you know, just that thing, that somehow the remote keyless feature on vehicles was prone to hacking, and that some group has actually been able to do that and took possession of a car and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you can imagine the fear that that generated. Well, that was some think tank of a bunch of, you know, geeks in France somewhere, I believe, you know, who had a university and all of that in research apparatus behind them to produce that result. So, okay. Is it possible? Sure. Is it probable? Not very. Hmm. We have not seen, we have not seen one case of a theft, in this country anyway, by somebody using that kind of technique to get access to a car and steal it. Ah. Now there have been, there have been some episodes where some kind of device has been used in proximity to a vehicle to gain access to the interior, whether it's, you know, mimicking the, just a signal that opens the doors, uh, we don't know what it is, but there are a couple of uh, episodes where that's actually occurred. But no theft of a vehicle has happened by the so-called hacking your way into it and taking control of the computer and off you go. So basically with these smart keys, uh, a thief would uh, most likely have to have possession of the key fob itself. Okay. Well, that is good news because, you know, you don't have this risk of people uh, just, you know, uh, reading, interpreting your radio signals and then stealing your car. No. I mean, it is, again, it's probably somebody here in this show is going to jump up and down and beat on their desk saying, well, wait a minute, that guy is all wet. I can do this, you know, and, and don't go through the rigmarole of uh, proving that it can be done. But uh, we're talking about that we see in the auto theft business uh, day to day just are not able to do this. Not yet. You know, there could be a time uh, when it happens. But, you know, I use the analogy of the old garage door openers, uh, which many today still use these very basic signals. And there were, it was not uncommon years ago where you'd get burglars be trolling around a neighborhood and just hit, hitting a garage door opener that they'd have in hopes of finding one with a similar right. transmitting frequency and, and right. so they got access to the house. I oh. mean, it's no more complex than that, except the security around that kind of technology today in a key fob and smart keys is, is much more uh, intense than it was in the early years. Now, even without a uh, a smart key, the, so you know the keyless entry and keyless start uh, system, the uh, traditional keys uh, today, I believe, all have chips embedded in them. And when you uh, to unlock the door and or uh, start the vehicle, uh, the a chip on the vehicle has to be able to read the chip and the key for things to work. Correct. Yes, that's my understanding. I'm not, you know, I can't speak in total confidence across all the model lines, but mm-hmm. generally speaking, yes, that's the, the security with the key and the chip in it uh, is much more pervasive today than ever. 
so uh, um, that and that's why they cost uh, two hundred dollars or more to replace. You no longer can go to Ace Hardware and get a five dollar ignition no, key. Long gone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unless you got one of the older cars. Right now, speaking of older cars, you know, looking at the. Uh, list of uh, most stolen vehicles. I think uh, the uh, your organization, the National Insurance Crime Bureau, looks at FBI statistics, and it appears, you know, from what I'm seeing, is that most of the most stolen vehicles are older models. Exactly. Yeah, we show that year after year. In fact, our most recent report. This is again based on 2012 data. Uh, the number one stolen car, again, was a Honda Accord uh, going back into the late 90s. So, um, and these are all, you know, the years all preceding the smart key. It's the Honda, you know, the Dodge, a lot of the import, Toyota Camry. These things, uh, you know, are stolen, the older ones, for a number of reasons. A, there's just many more of them out there, mm-hmm. many more of them sold year to year than right. a lot of other models. And, you know, they're the older models without that without that security. So they're, you know, they're just easier to steal. Right. I'm looking. I'm looking at the list of top ten uh, stolen vehicles. It includes in, in order. The most is the Honda Accord. Next, Honda Civic, Ford F Series pickup, the Chevrolet full size pickup now called Silverado, and the Camry, the Toyota Camry. Those are five of the most popular vehicles sold in the U.S. for years. Yes, and that's why this kind of a you know the list we put together year to year is just based. On nothing but thefts reported to law enforcement. So if we were going to look at, um, for example, and I did this, and I can give you these stats too, for 2012, just that model year, if we look at the 2012 model year vehicles stolen in calendar year 2012, you get a different, you get a different look altogether. But when we look at all the statistics from all the thefts around the country, uh, without uh, factoring in how many of these are actively registered and still on the road today and, and all of that and how many were sold. I mean, that would give you a much more precise look at the theft problem uh, specifically. So we just list each year what's reported to law enforcement as stolen, and then we go through that list and find the most numerous make and model. And then from that, we go down to the model year within that make and model, which gives us what we call our top 10 hot wheels report. Now, in 2012, if we look at just the model year stolen Mm -hmm. in 2012, the number one 2012 model year make and model was the Nissan Altima. A popular mid-sized car. A popular mid-sized. And all of these, actually, uh, the top five, I'll give you these in descending order. These are 2012 model year vehicles stolen in 2012. Mm-hmm. Nissan Altima, Chevy Impala, the Chevy Malibu, the Toyota Camry, and the Ford Fusion. That was your top five. Okay. Yeah, they have. They have. Uh, they're going for mid-size and large sedans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they're. You know, even these have, have taste. You know, they're not gonna. <laughs> you know, I might beat her out there in a parking lot, loaded with a hundred-dollar bill. You know, and the keys running and everything else. You know, nobody steals it. In fact, they leave money in my car after. You know, <laughs> to help a guy out. Now, what, what are um, are, are thieves uh, stealing? Primarily older cars because they're easier to break into, or because there's a market for their parts, which are both. It's, it's both, frankly, okay. Rick. Uh, what we find, uh, and this is reflected in recovery. 
recovery stats too. You know, even though we've had a great drop in the numbers of deaths each year, the recovery rate has also gone down. So when you look at 2012 figures, out of all of those 721,000 vehicles, mm-hmm. going, the recovery rate was only 53, almost 54 percent. So that left roughly about 387, 390,000 vehicles unrecovered. So what happens to those things? Uh, we have, we find that a lot of them wind up in what are called chop shops. Mm-hmm. This is where vehicles are taken uh, after they're stolen and essentially just dissected like locusts on a wheat field. Uh, <laughs> they're parted out, and then those parts wind up being used in repair jobs to similar, obviously, models. Uh, and it feeds a black market for part supply. Uh, another portion of them... Uh, you know, can just be shipped away or driven to, uh, we find a lot of them driven across the border into Mexico. And others still, um, and these are just acts of insurance fraud that are masked as auto theft. A lot of these other vehicles are taken by their owners and they could be driven into a quarry lake somewhere or buried on their property and then reported as stolen so that the insurance company will pay the owner whatever the value is of that vehicle. Yeah, a good number of these vehicles are unrecovered, and what happens to them? Uh, what are more of those options? We've been talking with Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau about Grand Theft Auto, the uh, the ongoing problem of uh, stopping thieves from taking your car. We have to pause here for another break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion. Please stay with us. Now, more cars, trucks, and bucks on TalkZone.com with your host, Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau, and our topic is Grand Theft Auto. Not the video game, the real thing, in which uh, thieves go out and steal more than 700,000 vehicles per year in the U.S., and as Frank pointed out earlier in the show, that's good news because that's substantially less than 10 years ago. Before the break, uh, Frank, you were saying how... um, uh, a lot of these cars that get stolen are older cars, and they're going for the parts. I, I assume body parts. Does this mean that that there is a market among body shops, repair shops, for stolen body parts on these older models? Well, first of all, obviously the, the overwhelming majority of these businesses are legitimate, but there are certainly others and they don't necessarily need to be, excuse me, storefront shops. Mm-hmm. But there are people that will do repair work on the side, or they know somebody uh. has a, you know, that kind of thing. So there is definitely uh, a black market for parts. And if you can get a part for ten bucks or fifty bucks, turn around and sell it to somebody, or put it on a repair job and charge that owner five hundred bucks, right. you can see the, uh, the potential there and the attraction for a lot of this activity. I can speak from experience on this is that uh, getting replacement body parts through a legitimate body shop is really expensive. Uh, We had an uh, accident with a uh, 10-year-old Honda Accord recently, and I was stunned at the uh, the cost of of body parts, even even used ones. And I think the 
legitimate salvage industry also uh, has um, taken, you know, cars that get scrapped. And all those parts, they're not just sitting around in a junkyard. They've been inventoried. And if you need a door for, you know, a 2003 Accord, you can find one in the color you need, but you'll pay a pretty high price for it. That's exactly right. I mean, we did, uh, oh, a few years ago, in, in uh, conjunction with our annual Hot Reels report, we focused on that very phenomenon. And we took a list of 18 items off of a vehicle. Uh, that, that year, I believe it was, a, you know, again, one of the 1990-something uh, court. And we had one of our employees went to a, a local Honda dealer and provided that list. And what would the retail be for these parts from this outlet? Mm-hmm. And just 18 items from that car, and you were well over the cost of that same model year vehicle in excellent condition uh, in a used in a used market somewhere. Huh. So uh, clearly, the, the car is worth more in parts than it is intact. Right, right. So you can you could see where if somebody can get a stolen part at a bargain, it sounds it looks really attractive to them. So yes. Now. Um, in the list of most stolen uh, uh, vehicles, and covering all model years, it was number one was the Honda Accord, number two was the Honda Civic. But I noticed on the uh, National Insurance Crime Bureau website, which is NICB.org, that uh, mentioned that Hondas are now harder to steal. Is that correct? That is correct. And that goes back to the smart key technology that they rolled out in, I believe it was the 1997 or 98 model year for the first generation. And when we tracked um, Honda theft, specifically uh, looking year to year from 97 to a few years afterwards, they dropped off a bunch after 97. Ah. I mean, uh, that technology and that example works, and it works better today than ever. And of course, it's across all your model lines now. And uh, entry-level vehicle up to you know the high-end, top of the food chain, you're going to get different layers of protection right. from the manufacturer based on what make and model you're buying and how high up that, that food chain you go. But uh, clearly, vehicles are just more secure today, and there's also aftermarket things that owners can do to protect their cars as well. Okay, well, uh, I'd like to talk about that a little bit later, but it, my, what I wanted to ask you next was, are there any vehicles that are actually theft-proof? Well, no. Okay. There are no vehicles that are theft-proof. And, then, of course, you can steal a vehicle in a number of ways, and you can secure a vehicle a lot better than most. But, you know, at the end of the day, if somebody wants your car, whatever that is, they're going to get it. Hmm. I don't care if you bury it in concrete. <laughs> because if you can't physically start the car up and drive it off, uh, you know, what's to say you can't tow it away? I mean, there are ways to steal a vehicle uh, aside from just climbing in there and, and, you know, attempting to start it and driving it off like most are stolen. And we do know of cases where, you know, some of these rogue uh, tow operators will run around in cahoots with somebody and they'll identify a car and they'll bring a tilt bed out and drag it on the bed and off it goes. That's a stolen car. Hmm. The security might be perfect, but the car was stolen. Right. 
I, years ago, when I lived in the city of Chicago, this wasn't car theft, but but there was a famous towing company, Lincoln Towing. They actually wrote songs about them. Uh, that uh, and and I just happened to be looking out the back window of my apartment, and I saw two tow trucks pull up. And, and a, uh, a, a car that was parked in a uh, tight spot, nose first, uh, one truck hitched up the back of it, dragged it out, the other one backed up and hitched up the front and pulled away, and they were gone in about a minute. And I said, wow! <laughs> so I, I see what you mean about if somebody wants your car. They get very good at it, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the legitimate toes, I mean, some of the things they pull off are quite astounding. Right. So, yeah, if you got a couple of those folks who have that skill and are, you know, sort of bent one way or the other to make a quick buck on the side, hey, imagine a possibility. All right, so uh, is there a learning curve uh, among thieves so that what they can't solve today in, in, uh, in the way of anti-theft measures, maybe a few years down the road they'll figure it out? I think so. I think there's certainly, you know, with most criminal activity, you know, it's just like uh, you, you find ways or weaknesses or vulnerabilities in something that, you know, the, the criminal element has managed to exploit. And mm-hmm. then you make that target a little harder by doing some engineering tweaks or what have you. And then the bad guys go back and figure it out. I mean, it's really uh, no more complex than that. Uh, but at some point, you know, you reach and you reach a point of diminishing returns for the bad guys hmm. because the technology, and we may be on the on the cusp of this already. I think the technology is such that you got to be, you know, a combination of geek and brainerd and crook uh, to prevail against some of these vehicles today and get into that security. And there aren't that many folks with the wherewithal to do that and risk, you know, the capture, which is a lot greater today than in years past for doing so. Probably if you have those technical skills, you can make a lot of money legitimately. Or, you know, and this is a question I pose a lot to reporters on, on this topic. You know, we've seen a good, significant drop in just general criminal activity across the board over the last several years. And, you know, a lot of the uh, you know, sociologists and criminologists all kind of scratch their heads and, you know, why could that be? You know, we're in the middle of these hard economic times and, and the knee-jerk reaction is that people were going to go out and commit all kinds of crimes just to get by. Uh, and the historical record on that theory is just very solid. That's not the case. But, but what happens to all these people who are stealing cars? Well, maybe, you know, when you look at identity theft and how easy it is to sit in your, uh, you know, in your balcony with a laptop and if you've got that kind of ability technical ability why would you screw around still in a you know $1,500 car when you can zap somebody's bank account uh, <laughs> or you know put a bogus charge on a million people's credit cards that you got from a target hack and make three cents per, per hit I mean it's just incredibly more lucrative for somebody with that kind of skill to go that route I, I don't see. know that we're able to even track that activity yet but Right. We're talking with Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau about auto theft today. And um, what are some of the things that that owners can do to uh, reduce the chances that their vehicle gets uh, stolen? Well, we we have what we call the four layers of protection at, at NIT and ICB, and this is something we've been screaming about for years, where owners can take uh, really just the basic. 
first thing and the cheapest thing is to just lock the lock the car when you leave it somewhere. Really? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just earth shaking. What a concept, right? You know, they all come with locks. So you have to use them. Um, but these are the things that uh, people can do. Um, regardless of what kind of security comes with. And next you have, you know, the alarms, usually the visible alarms, things like a, a club or the steering wheel locks. Do people Which still use that? Today. Do people still use that steering wheel lock? To... Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that club, uh, you know, when the, the, the winter organization came out with it years ago, I mean, what a great idea, very simple concept. Uh, and it's inexpensive, relatively. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people still use them today, and they are still effective for a certain kind of thief. You know, somebody that sees a club on a car that might want to steal that vehicle is going to pass it up and go to something else. Because it takes more time to exactly. do it? Okay. Exactly. And then you get into, you know, the next layer is the more uh, exotic things like uh, kill switches, immobilizers, things that would have prevented uh, hot wiring in the old days from occurring. You know, now some of the technology today um, makes a kill switch kind of pointless. But if you still have an older vehicle, um, that's a very inexpensive and effective way uh, to prevent somebody from starting the car and taking off with it. Uh, they can still tow it away, but, you know, again, you're not dealing with those kinds of thieves most of the time. Then, of course, the last layer, the one that we call is, uh, you know, our, the fourth one, the fourth layer is simply... Um, getting one of these devices that tracks your vehicle, a recovery device. It's not necessarily a security or theft prevention option, but it's more a recovery option. And here we're talking about products under the name of LoJack or OnStar or maybe even some others that might be out there today. Yeah, I believe Mercedes and Toyota may have something on that that also tracks the vehicle. Yeah, a lot of manufacturers that are coming out with their own sort of service The, those have been proven effective, the uh, LoJacks and OnStars? Oh, sure. In that the, the, the point of, you know, the recovery systems is that once you realize your vehicle is stolen and you go through the steps to activate it to get it recovered, then it can be seen. You know, the vehicle can hmm. be seen. Uh, in the case of uh, LoJack, it's a GPS-based device. So you have to have access to the sky for that to work. Uh, LoJack is a radio frequency-based system, and it works no matter where the vehicle is, whether it's inside a garage or a container or what have you. Uh, LoJack is not nationwide, however, whereas some of the other GPS services are. So there are you know, limits to both, uh, but they do, uh, the point being that you hope to get that vehicle recovered as quickly after you notice it's stolen as you can so that somebody doesn't take it and chop it apart or damage it or what have you. How, how effective are the uh, types of aftermarket alarm systems that you can get at a, at a car dealership or some electronic shop? Well, Rick, you know, I don't know statistically. I haven't seen anything that, that would uh, give me enough information to say that one is more effective than another. It's just the, the basic, um, just the option of having a bit more security on your vehicle, whether it's something you can order from the factory or something you can get installed from an electronic shop. Uh, there are things today that actually tie into smartphones. So all 
all these things uh, really will help. And I think the key for the consumer would be if I've got whatever device I have, if it's giving me real-time information about uh, the status of my car, that to me would be the most optimal thing to have. Because if you're sitting in a restaurant somewhere and you've parked your car out on a street or it's in a garage someplace and you're out shopping and somebody gets access to the car, sitting in the car, um, it'd be good for you to know that when it's happening. Not when you get back to the car and you see it's missing, then you say, hmm, all right, so then you can start that chain of events to try to get your system engaged to recover it if you even have it. So there may be things, uh, I'm sure there's probably some 14-year-old kid right now sitting in his garage tinkering with the next great app that's going to solve that problem. So, you know, we're just on the, be, I think, at the beginning of the technological wave to secure not just vehicles, but property of all kinds. We have to pause for one more break here, but when we come back, we'll finish our discussion with Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau about Grand Theft Auto. Please stay with us. This is Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Back to Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about vehicle theft and what you can do to prevent your car from being swiped. My guest is Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau, an organization that fights insurance fraud and crime. I recorded an interview with Frank last week, and we will now return to that conversation. Frank, be, uh, before the break, uh, you were talking about, you call it the four layers of protection that uh, the NICB recommends that, that uh, consumers use to protect their vehicle. And the fact that there are maybe visible signs of uh, some kind of theft protection, an alarm or kill switch or something like that, are those things alone going to deter some thieves from tinkering with your car? Oh, yes. I mean, there are, you know, you think about this, you know, I like to use it as my, uh, the area, uh, and there's a four-way stop. I mean, if you watch the behavior at a four-way stop and sort of, you know, <laughs> I mean, it used to be, I don't mean to be so pedestrian about this, but sometimes, you know, you can tell you a lot about the people in a certain area when you look at that activity about what they do when they all approach a four-way stop and who goes, who has the right of way, you know, who jumps the gun, or they're frozen waiting for somebody else to do it. So there's, just like you have that level of uh, driving skill and ability, you have that same sort of skill and ability among the vehicle thief cohort. So you have folks who could walk up to a car, some thieves, and scratch their head trying to figure out how to get access to the car because they can see the keys in the ignition, but they're over on the driver's side trying to tinker with a closed door when the passenger door window is wide open. <laughs> you know, and then you have the other end of the spectrum where they can walk up to a you know a Mercedes or a Lexus or something and just know how they can get into it and maybe not gonna steal the car, but they're gonna clean out the interior and take some papers, which yeah. lead to identity theft and all of that. So uh, there is certainly, you know, all of these things, all of these layers do work for a certain kind of thief. But, you know, the the absolutely skilled thief who's got all the toys and all the bells and whistles to over 
overcome the security and is up on the latest and greatest stuff is going to prevail if, if that person wants a particular car. Hmm. So uh, there's just, you know, the odds of you crossing paths with that kind of thief are remote. Okay. So, so that's the thing, that, that's the takeaway, that people shouldn't wring their hands over this, but should just take some basic steps, and by and large, they're going to be fine. Okay, so so the, the really skilled thief is rarer, and uh, the more things you can put in the way of obstacles to stealing a car, probably the better off you are. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well said. Now, now, now. Besides um, uh, stealing vehicles, there's uh, there's also um, a pretty good market for stolen airbags, and I think even um, catalytic converters, uh, which are an emission control device that contains some precious metals. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, it's amazing what turns out to be a target for a thief anymore, because it's just uh, who would have thought a few years ago. Converters do contain a, a tiny amount of one of three precious metals. It's either rhodium, palladium, or platinum. And to the everyday person, you know, it, it's not a big deal. Your, your catalytic converter is there for a purpose. But for these knuckleheads who have dis- discovered that, gee, I can take a catalytic converter to a recycling yard and get ten bucks for it. Ah. Uh. So that somebody like that, that's worth their effort. And yeah, it's very easy to get these things because, uh, you know, if you crawl under an SUV or something that has a high ground clearance uh, and you've got a little sawzall, you can hack your way through, a, you know, an exhaust pipe in no time. And now they have a converter. And if they do this to several vehicles over a period of time, um, they can turn that into a, you know, a nice amount of cash. Not something that you and I would ever consider because the you know the risk for apprehension in jail is is great, but uh, that has caused an episode of these kinds or, or episodes of these kinds of deaths around the nation, and it's crazy that uh, that people will, will find out, and the only way they find out is when they jump in their car the next time and they start it up, and it sounds like a you know like a NASCAR machine. <laughs> And air, airbags are, uh, I know, are pretty expensive to replace, so I can see the, the value of those. Yes, airbag thefts, uh, you know, just like catalytic converters, those things are stolen. And, yeah, we see it kind of episodic around the nation. You know, it's not the kind of thing that happens every day, everywhere. But it has been happening, you know, over the years. And, you know, what's, why would you steal an airbag? Well, because to get one, it's like any other part. Uh, to get a legitimate airbag at some source, it's going to cost you a couple grand, probably. Mm. Uh, but if you can get one, you know, from the midnight auto supply, uh, that's a lot better uh, investment for somebody who's looking to to market or to traffic in those things. The trouble with and the risk with that is if you have your airbag or your vehicle repaired someplace and it had an airbag deployed, uh, you want to be sure that that person or that shop that did the work is skilled enough to know how to do that without risking your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you, do, you don't want to have an airbag not go off. Look, what's, that's what's going on with General Motors on a big recall right now. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so. that just, uh, yeah, it goes to show you just how how important those things are. So, you know, and there are things you can look for uh, if you've had an airbag 
replaced. I mean, it, those we call them idiot lights, but those little idiot lights that light up when you first engage your vehicle, uh, they all mean something. And then mm-hmm. that little airbag symbol comes on and stays on or comes on erratically, uh, that's kind of a clue. You know, you should have that looked after and, and take it to a reputable dealer, you know, a service place that knows what they're doing and have that checked out. My guest today is Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau, and we're talking about auto theft. And you can visit the uh, this organization's website, nicb.org, for more information. And one of the things I noticed on the on the site, Frank, was um, something called the VIN check. What is that? Oh, VIN check. Yeah. VIN check is really. Um, we started this service after Hurricane Katrina, although then it was called the Flood Vehicle Database. And in short, it's like a it's in it's a free vehicle history check um, where consumers, if they're interested in buying a used vehicle, they can pop the VIN of that vehicle into VIN check. Vehicle identification number. I should have vehicle said vehicle identification yeah. number that you can find on the dashboard right below the uh, right in front of the driver, right at the base of the dash uh, windshield. And you can run that VIN in VINCheck, and if it was ever uh, deemed salvage or if it's an unrecovered stolen and it was insured by one of our 1,100 participating, well, by one of our participating member insurance companies, then that information will come back to you in a form of a, you know, essentially a hit or, or no record. Hmm. So it's, it's not all comprehensive, but for the price, it's the best thing on the planet. It saves a lot of people money because I get emails practically every week from people who've used it and who've told me how it saved them from buying you know, a bad vehicle from some third party. And that's the point of it. So it's a, it's a free vehicle history service. Um, it's not all as comprehensive as some of the others, but you can through VinCheck. You can get additional information if you choose to to opt for one of the commercial services that's available. Okay. What 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 is vehicle cloning? Cloning. Uh, if you look at a vehicle's VIN number, that's like a fingerprint. Right. There's one VIN number for one vehicle. Right. It's a seventeen seventeen character number numbers and letters. That's correct. Seventeen characters and and. Uh, the way cloning works is if you go into a showroom and you look at a brand new vehicle that's not yet been sold, and you write down the VIN number of that vehicle, and so then you go out on the street. Now, you're a professional thief, and you're, you're into cloning because this is where you can make your most money. So you go out on the street, and you find that same vehicle in a shopping center somewhere, same year, same color, same general equipment. You steal that vehicle. Now, you take it to your shop. And you take off the VIN number on that stolen vehicle from every place on the vehicle that it appears, on the shipping label, on the tire inflation certificates, inside a glove box, wherever you can find a label with that VIN number, you remove it, as well as the VIN plate on the dash. Now, you take the VIN number that you recorded from the showroom and you make copies. <laughs> you make all these new labels using that clean VIN number from the showroom on these reproduced labels and you stick those all over the car in oh place my. of the ones you took off, along with a new VIN plate with that with that clean number. Now you take that vehicle and usually online or through a classified ad somewhere and you advertise it for a few thousand dollars less than retail. And you know, not long 
buyer for that vehicle, and they're going to come out and look at that vehicle, unless they really know what they're looking for, they're not going to spot it. They're that good. Well, that's why we call it a clone. It's not like the old days where somebody would have a, a stolen vehicle, and then they'd go to a junkyard, and they'd, you know, they'd pry a VIN plate off a similar model vehicle in a junkyard and stick that thing on the stolen car. I mean, you could readily see where that's, that's called a VIN switch. Pretty crude, you know, successful in some in some cases, but not as successful as these clones. And you know, you buy a clone, and you're thinking you're buying a great car, and you get a loan on it, and off you go. And then the downside of that is eventually an ICB or, or one of our agents, along with a law enforcement officer, can they come knock on your door and say, "Hey, we need to examine your vehicle because it might be stolen." And of course, after you get up off the floor and you accompany them out to the car and they're going through it and they find the secondary, the hidden VIN, which is in places around the vehicle that only, you know, the cops and us know. And that's the true VIN. And that's how you can tell that that vehicle is stolen. And the sad thing for the owner is that they're, they're still out, the money, whatever it is they loan, they still have to pay off that vehicle even though they don't own it. They don't have it anymore. Wow. Very expensive mistake to make, and it's, it's hard to catch. Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau has been with us today sharing his uh, knowledge of the auto theft industry and what uh, you and I can do to prevent our cars from being stolen. Frank, thank you so much for spending the time with us. My pleasure, Rick. I had a good time and look forward to doing it again. That was Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau. You can find out more about that organization on the web at NICB.org. And we are almost out of time for this week. Next week, we will look at the significant new vehicles being introduced at the New York Auto Show. David Thomas, the managing editor of Cars.com, will join us to talk about what's new with the much-revised Toyota Camry, the redesigned Hyundai Sonata, the new Jeep Renegade, and more news from New York, New York. And if you want to be a part of it, tune in next week to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks here on TalkZone.com. Until then, please visit my website, CarsTrucksAndBucks.com, for news updates and vehicle reviews. And don't forget, April is Read Your Owner's Manual Month. Thanks again to today's guest, Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau, And thanks to you for listening. This is Rick Popley saying, be careful out there and watch out for the other guy. So long, everyone.